Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thanks, guys, for leading us in worship tonight. Hey, I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you've had a great week. Man, I just uh, had a great weekend. I love Easter. I love the, the day that we get to celebrate uh, Easter and we celebrate resurrection. I hope you guys did some fun things with your family, with your friends, or maybe it was just a normal day for you, or maybe you have some Easter traditions that you guys like to do. So uh, one of the things that we like to do, and I just, I think it's kind of cool. We, we like to crack Easter eggs, even though we know Easter, Easter isn't about Easter eggs. But my little girls just go crazy. It's like their favorite day to just smash eggs on mom and dad's head. And for like the next two days, we're like picking out eggshells that have been ground into a fine eggshell powder into our hair. They're not even eggshells anymore. They're just like tiny little pieces of eggshell ground into our hair. And we got home on a Sunday afternoon, just last Sunday that just passed Easter. And I just wanted to go and take a nap, but my hair was full of Easter egg, um, like eggshells and confetti. And so I went out outside and sat out, I sat outside on a little chair and I had Bethany pick out my little girl. She's nine. I had her just picking out eggshells for my hair for like about a good five to 10 minutes. She, she just said, dad, I can't get any more. You're going to have to go wash your hair. And I said, no, I want to go take a nap. And she's like, just trying to get all these eggshells. That's totally Valley tradition, right? So like everywhere else in the country and even in Mexico, they're like, what do you mean you crack cascarones on each other's heads? Like that's like a total valley thing for sure. And people aren't really familiar with that. But these are such an awesome time. So here's the deal, okay? So we have, including tonight, three Wednesdays left to finish this semester. So we have this week and then we have two more. And then the last Wednesday of the semester on May the 15th is actually gonna be a really nice outside kind of party for all of us to finish the school year, to finish this semester. But for the next, including tonight and the next two weeks, I wanna kind of close this semester with a little series, the very short series that we're gonna call Last Encounters. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about the final moments or the final days and the final encounters that Jesus had on earth with his followers. So here's the deal, okay? If you're not familiar with the story, if you're not yet familiar with what we celebrate with Good Friday and Easter, we know that Jesus was sent to the earth. He was sent by the Father to the earth. He lived a perfect life here on this earth. And the Bible tells us about Jesus. It tells us about the life that he lived. He lived a perfect life. He lived a life without sin. Can you imagine living a life without ever having a bad thought, without ever having an evil thought, without ever um, cursing somebody in your mind or in your heart or even out loud. Can you ever imagine just living this life of just uh, perfectness and holiness in every way? That was Jesus's life. He came, he lived a sinless, a perfect life. And then he went and was crucified. He died on the cross like someone who didn't have a perfect life, like someone who was a criminal that was going to be executed for what they had done. So the Bible says that Jesus went to the cross and he died a criminal's kind of a death. You know, actually it's 715 right now. That means that one hour ago, an hour and 15 minutes ago in the state of Texas, somebody was executed for a crime that he committed in 1996. You were probably, were you all born in 1996? Anybody? No? Wow, I'm getting old. Newsflash. Okay, in 1996, there were three men, three men. They committed one of the most horrible hate crimes in modern day history, in modern day American history. They took an African-American man by the name of James Byrd they tied him up by his feet and they drug him behind a pickup truck for about three miles in this, outside this uh, town in East Texas called Jasper, Jasper, Texas. It was a kind of hate crime that shook this country to its core to realize that hate crime like that still exists in the 90s, in the 1990s. Y'all weren't born yet. I was definitely born. 
see, 1990, I was probably in about, uh, let's see, maybe fifth or sixth grade. So I remember being in about fifth grade and hearing about this. And that man, that man who helped commit that crime um, in, 19, in the late 1990s was executed today in Huntsville in the state of Texas. He was uh, given a lethal injection today at 6 o'clock p.m. And there was a big article in, in, the, in the news about him yesterday before he was executed today. One of the other guys who committed that crime, who, who um, helped commit that crime, was executed about 10 years ago. So can you imagine then, just track with me here, can you imagine that Jesus was executed and died a criminal's kind of a death, just like the man who died today, who was executed today? The difference, though, is that Jesus lived a sinless and perfect life. So some may say that the man who was executed today deserved what he got. It was justice, and we're not going to argue whether or not the death penalty is just today. That's not the point of our talk today. Reality is that he was executed today. And Jesus lived this perfect sinless life and he was executed, a criminal's death. In fact, my little girls were asking me this weekend as we were talking about Easter stuff, they said, why did Jesus just let himself be killed? Why didn't he do anything? I said, you know, baby girl, I said, that's what I call my daughters. You know, baby girl, I said, Gee, the Bible says that Jesus could have called down a whole legion of angels to save him. He, said, he could have called out to his father and said, father, rescue me. And he, he would have sent down a legion of angels 2,000 angels down to rescue him off that cross. But that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was for Jesus to give his life as a ransom for many. That means that his life would be given in exchange for your life. That you would be able to be forgiven of all of the sin that you have committed. That's called the gospel. It's what we believe in, what we hold true in our hearts. It's what we have put our faith in, the gospel truth. The good news is that on Easter, we celebrate the resurrection, that Jesus didn't just die a criminal's death and was executed, but that on Easter, Resurrection Sunday, it wasn't called Easter back then, but on Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate that Jesus overcame death. He conquered death. He didn't stay dead, but that on that day, he rose again, just like he promised that he would. Now, we don't have time to get into the resurrection today. That's not the point of today's story. But, you know, I know that a lot of you here have a lot of doubt. Maybe you're like, man, I don't really know if the Bible's true. I don't know if God is real and all these things. Well, if we were to look into historical accounts about the resurrection, can I just tell you that there is so much outside evidence, like outside the Bible evidence for you doubters, that Jesus was dead, really dead, scientifically dead, and that he was resurrected. He resurrected back to life three days later. And oh, by the way, just like he predicted that he would. And oh, by the way, just like was predicted about him hundreds of years before he was even born. But that's not the point of today's talk either, all right? Okay, so we just drop a little truth bombs on you guys in case you have a little bit of doubt. Did Jesus really die? Uh, maybe you saw the Da Vinci Code and you thought Tom Hanks played a great job, did a great job in that movie and it was like, is the Da Vinci Code not in the Bible? Well, it's because it's not true, it's not real, okay? Um, it's some conspirator's idea of what they think might have happened and all of that. But on Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate that Jesus overcame death and death couldn't hold him down anymore. And can I just make this really clear? There is nobody in history, nobody in history under the sky that has ever conquered death. There is no saint, there is no person, there is no religious figure in any belief system who has conquered death. 
Jesus and only Jesus. So we gladly come and we put our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and to live our life as his disciple, his follower. Okay, so this little series that we're going to do for the last three weeks of this semester, we're going to pick out stories and passages of Jesus's final moments on this earth. So he's died, he was crucified, he was put inside of a tomb, he came back to life. And before he, is, is, um, before he ascends back to his father, back to heaven, where he sits at the right hand of God, before he ascends back to heaven, there's a very short period of time that he's on the earth and he appears to a few different people. He appears first to Mary, Mary Magdalene, not his mom, Mary Magdalene. And I love this about the Bible. You know, in the Bible, all throughout the Bible, you see how much God values the role of women in this world. God is not anti-woman. God is not anti-feminine, anti-woman. God has created women and he's created women uniquely wonderful. And God first chooses Mary Magdalene to witness and see the resurrected Jesus. And she sees him and Jesus says, go tell the others. Jesus didn't first appear to, to any of the male disciples. God, for some reason, chose that Mary Magdalene would be the first to see Jesus. And then she runs and she tells the other disciples and they're not too sure what to believe. They don't know if she's seen a ghost or if she's just trying to make something up or maybe they stole Jesus's body. She doesn't know what to believe. God cares about women and, they, and God uses women in mighty and powerful ways all throughout the Bible. So many amazing stories about the role of women. So today we're gonna get to our story. It's in John chapter 20. If you have your Bible, go there with me. John chapter 20, we're gonna be in verse 19 and 23. So it really is a short little story that's gonna go really fast. And as we tell this story today, I'm gonna give you three words to remember. So today's message hopefully will be super easy for you to remember because it's just three simple words that I'd like to unpack with you guys so that you can remember today's talk, all right? Okay, so we're gonna start with verse 19. That's where we're gonna be, John chapter 20, 19. We're gonna go move this real fast, okay? Here we go. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were in fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now, let me just, let's just kind of unpack what's going on here, okay? Jesus has just died on the cross, criminal's death. They saw his body put inside of a tomb with this giant boulder put in front of it because the governor said, somebody's gonna try to steal his body. I want you to cover the tomb and I want you to put two Roman guards there, put two Roman soldiers there so that if anybody comes and tries to steal his body, they'll do something about it. Okay, so that's the last that they saw of Jesus, dead, dead, dead in every way that you could be dead, dead and buried, dead. So right here in this passage, the disciples, they're gathered up in a home and they're afraid. They have doors that are locked because they just saw Jesus executed. And so what they're thinking is that if they did that to Jesus, then what are they gonna do to us? If they did just, just did that to Jesus, then those of us who have hung out with Jesus and walked with Jesus and were considered his followers, his disciples, what are they gonna do when they find us? So they were very afraid of the, of the Jewish religious police, so to say. They were gonna come looking for them. They were gonna come pound down a door and take them to jail or even execute them in the same way they executed Jesus. So they have doors locked, doors locked, and they're afraid when all of a sudden it says there in the verses that we just read that Jesus came and he stood there with them. He stood among them and he says, hey, what's up guys? And they look at him 
And there's the Jesus that they just saw um, days before, dead and buried. And there he is staring at them. And he says to them, peace be with you. Now, the first word I want you to remember today is the word walls, okay? Turn to neighbor and just say walls, okay? It's just W-A-L-L-S, walls, walls, okay? Okay, awesome. Do it one more time. Isn't it such, it just kind of rolls off the tongue, right? Walls. It's an interesting kind of word to say, right? Walls. Listen to this. Check this out. Watch this. Watch this. Super easy to understand. Number one, walls. Walls don't stop Jesus. Did you get that? Walls don't stop Jesus. Doors don't stop Jesus. Locked doors don't stop Jesus. That just goes to show you who this man is. Walls don't stop him. Doors don't stop him. He's dead. He's alive. And just because these guys, his followers, are hiding behind closed doors doesn't mean that he can't get to them. He doesn't come up to the house and go, Hey guys, it's me, Jesus. Can you all let me in? No, he just appears right there next to him and says, hey guys, I'm here. Peace be with you guys. I'm here. Walls don't stop Jesus. If he's more powerful than death itself, then why would we think that a door that is locked or a wall that is blocking him would stop him from getting to his disciples? Now, here's the question I have for you, okay? So these guys, the disciples, they had a locked door and walls around them protecting them from who they thought were gonna come and arrest them. But that doesn't stop Jesus from getting to them. And he comes to them and says, hey guys, I'm with you. Peace, don't be afraid. I'm here. Now, here's my question for us, okay? Do you have any walls that you've put up between you and Jesus? Okay, for, for the disciples, they were very literal physical walls and a locked physical door. Now, some people say that Jesus went through the wall. Some people say that he went through the locked door and, and, some people, and the disciples themselves thought that Jesus was a ghost. They were like, is he real? Is he a real ghost? Well, Luke tells us in the same story, the same account that that he sat and said, I'm hungry, give me some food, people. And he ate a piece of broiled fish, all right? So this isn't some ghosts, because ghosts don't eat food, okay? But Jesus sits right there in his physical form, in his physical body, right with them, because walls don't stop Jesus in any way. Do you have any walls that you've put up between you and Jesus? There are a lot of walls. There are a lot of locked doors that we can put up between us and God. You know, the kind of walls and locked doors that we can put up in a, between our hearts and the heart of God might look like pride. You know, pride says something like this. Pride says, I don't need God. I've, ju I've done just fine without God. I don't need him in any way, shape, or form. I'm doing just fine. That's pride. And pride is this massive wall, and it's this massive locked door between you and God that we put up. You know, another locked door, another wall that we can put up between God could look like doubt. It could look like disbelief. Now, I want you to know this without a shadow of a doubt, okay? Doubt, shout. Without a shadow of a doubt, okay? Listen to me here. God is not afraid of your doubt. If you ever wonder if God is real, if you ever wonder if God cares, if he's really there, if he hears your prayer, if you ever wonder if God is who he says he is, if you have doubt, if you have disbelief, I want you to know, hey, listen, number one, you're not alone. You're not the first person to ever have doubt. You're not the last person to ever have doubt. But I can promise you this, is that if God is true, that truth has nothing to hide. Did you hear what I said? If God is true, truth has nothing to hide. And he's not afraid of your doubt in every single, in any way, shape, or form. Not only this, but can I just say this? Your doubt and my doubt, if I ever have doubt in God and who he is and all that other stuff, does not necessarily disprove God. And whether or not you believe in God doesn't prove God. God. 
In other words, God exists outside of your belief or your disbelief. Did you get that? Whether you choose to believe in God or whether you choose to not believe in God, that does not make God appear or disappear. He exists outside of that. But disbelief and doubt can definitely be this wall that we put up. Another, doubt, another wall that we can put up between us and God or another locked door we can put up is fear. Fear definitely is, uh, can be a barrier. You know, fear says something like this, I don't trust anybody. I can't trust anybody. I've been hurt in my life too many times. I've been let down too much in my life. Marcus, if you just understood how my parents have let me down, if you just understand the kind of things that my dad has done, if you would just understand the kind of ways that my stepmom has treated me or my siblings, I can't trust anybody. How do you expect that I could ever trust God? Yeah, fear is definitely this wall that we can put up between us and God. Anger. You ever seen somebody angry before? I was thinking of this morning I was driving. For some reason, this, this guy, this man popped into my head of this time that I was flying home with Hannah. We were flying home from New York City. We'd taken a little time away and we're up there. And when I was at the airport, there was a guy that was in front of me and, and about three or four people in front of us, in front of him, was his family, his husband, wife, and a little child. And the little child at the airport, if you guys have ever traveled and been to airports and stuff like that, maybe you haven't, it can get a little tricky, a little messy, especially with kids. You gotta take your shoes off and put them on the little belt. And then the security officer right there says, you're supposed to put them inside this little tub. And they give you the thing and they're all upset because they've seen a thousand people through their line in the day. And then they make you take everything out of your pockets and you gotta take your jacket off. Then you gotta stand in this machine where you put your hand up and it scans you. You know somebody is somewhere looking at you naked, all right? I said naked it on purpose like that. Okay, you just, you put your hands up and they scan you and then you're like, oh gosh, I feel so violated. And then you just keep going, okay, right? Okay, so that's just kind of how security is at the airport. But you ever seen somebody that's just got a lot of anger? Just, they just ooze out this anger, this vitriol poison that is in their hearts, just poisoning their heart with anger. You know, we just wonder where it comes from. Does it come from a place of hurt? Have they been hurt? Where's it? Anyway, I was at, we were at the airport. I don't know why I just thought of this this morning when I was thinking about barriers between us and God. We can be angry at God or we can be angry and hate the world around us. But I was at the airport with Hannah. We were flying back from New York City and we were in, in the, at the airport and this man was in front of me. And a few families in front of us was this little child, about three years old, and mom, dad. And they were like fighting with the little kid, trying to get his bag up. And they were taking a long time. And this man right in front of me, he says, he looks at me, and I guess he thought I'd agree with him, but he said to me, if that was my kid, I would have slapped the, and he dropped an explicitive off of his face. That's what he said about that little three-year-old, a few families in front of us. I couldn't believe he said that. I was kind of in shock. I was like, man, how can somebody be so angry that they'd say, if that was my child, I would have slapped the you-know-what off of their face. And I just thought, man, this man is so angry. I looked at him. I was like, you know, we're all trying to get somewhere. Not a big deal. And, you know, you th- you th- I would have thought that it just kind of rested there. But he kept going. He had more to say about this little three-year-old and his mom and his dad. And you could tell this guy was just so full of anger. And I don't know why. That was like two years ago. But I was driving to the church this morning. And as I was driving, I remembered that story this morning. And I was starting to get angry. And by the time I got to the stoplight right here on Bicentennial and Harvey, I was already thinking about four things that I wished I had said to this guy. Um, And I'm glad I didn't at the moment. I was more surprised than anything. But you know, people's anger, your anger, listen to me, listen to me. If you don't hear anything tonight, some of you need to hear this. Your anger can be a barrier between you and God. It can be a wall and this locked door to your heart because you're angry, you're so angry at the world around you. People are full of anger all around us. How else could somebody go 
and with so much hate, kill almost, uh, was it, I think we're already over 300 people in Sri Lanka that were killed over the weekend with these eight bombings. Okay, that's the kind of hate and anger that is this barrier between us and God. You know, these are pretty serious things, but you know, loving things in this world can definitely be a uh, barrier. You, do, you, do you love yourself more than God? Do you love the number of likes on your Instagram account? And does that build your ego and your reputation and make you feel good about yourself? Do you care too much about what people think about you? Like what people think about you, does that become like a God that you worship? There's so many things that can be barriers between us and God. But God, listen to me, but God is stronger than our walls. God is stronger than our doors. And Jesus is more powerful. And the point is simply this, that Jesus Christ can reach past any wall that you and I put up between him. If you've put up a wall between God for some reason, Jesus is more powerful than that wall you've put up. And he can break through that wall. You know, I was watching the guys that are doing construction here on our student building that we're going to move into this summer, which is going to be awesome, by the way. Just a little side note, the building's going to be awesome when it's done. But I was watching these guys cut holes into these windows. Okay, somebody said to us one time, there's no way you're going to get windows in this place. And we said, well, let's pray about it. No, we didn't say that. We said, we think we can. One of the first things they did was drop these windows in. And when we started the construction project, they put in four windows. You can go and look in there tonight and see some cool stuff today if you want to. But check this out. That picture right there. Okay. They had to cut through seven inches of concrete to get these windows in. Solid concrete. I watched these guys come in and they took this giant saw that had a water hose hooked up to it and they started cutting because the water cools the blade of the saw as it's cutting through seven inches of concrete. And in two days, it took them two full days to cut these four windows. And then once they were cut, they came in the next morning and from the backside, from the inside of the building, they took a sledgehammer and started hitting it and breaking it and pushing these big pieces out. You know, I started to think to myself, man, what does it take to break through a wall kind of like that? Well, it takes the right tools. It takes the right equipment. It takes something like a sledgehammer. And here's the thing. Listen to me here. This is where I'm going with this story, okay? Listen, some of us have put a wall, seven inches of concrete around our hearts, and we are cold and hard to the things of God. Our hearts are like stone. And hear me. Listen to me. Watch this. Listen. Jesus' death and his resurrection, that he didn't stay dead, but he died for you, that is like the sledgehammer that comes to your heart and just says, you know what? Your heart is cold. You don't love God. You don't want to follow him. Well, guess what? I'm going to send my son to die for you. And that is going to be a sledgehammer to your heart, breaking through the stone that can be encasing your heart. He breaks through the hardness of our heart. His death and resurrection is like this sledgehammer. You know, I just think, yeah, there's so many pictures of Jesus' resurrection, right? Like his love, his mercy. You know what it is? For a heart that is hard and hates God, a savior would come and die for someone who hates them. Would you ever die for somebody who hates you? The Bible says that while we were enemies to God, not loving him, literally says in Romans that while you and I were enemies to God, that that's when he sent his son, Jesus, to die. So in our hate for God, in our not wanting to love him or follow him, he says, I love you. And my son's death and resurrection will be the sledgehammer to the heart. Bam. 
my son's love for you, even when you don't love him back, will be the sledgehammer to the heart. My God, God says, my grace, my grace. That means you don't deserve his love or mercy, but he loves you anyway. That will be a sledgehammer to the heart that doesn't love God. See all these pictures of this sledgehammer that breaks through this hardness that is in our hearts so that when it finally breaks, when we finally crack, when the walls finally come down around our hearts, we can have a response to Jesus. We can put our faith in him. We can trust him. We can give him our lives. We can say, I want to be your follower. I want to be your disciple. I want to give you all of my life and I want to know you. That's what it looks like for Jesus to break through our hearts. You know, his love really is this sledgehammer. The Bible says that it is, listen to this. You may have never heard this verse before. It is the kindness, watch this, the kindness of God leads us to repentance, okay? What's the opposite of repentance? Just stuck in our ways, enemies to God. But how does God break through with a sledgehammer? His kindness. The kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. And repentance simply means to turn away from sin and turn to God and to turn to, who his, to his way and all that he wants. So repentance very much is this symbolic, not just turning away, but our hearts also breaking so that we can respond to him how he wants us to respond to him. Walls don't keep Jesus out. When Jesus wants to break through, he breaks through. The second word is this. Okay, I spent too much time on walls. I like that. Second word is this. Second word is called um, presence. And presence is just a fancy way of saying um, being in attendance with somebody. You are in my presence today and I'm in your presence today. Everything changes when Jesus is with you. Verse 20 says this. It says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands. So Jesus literally is saying, guys, if, you, if you're doubting if it's me or not, here are my hands. He shows them where his hands have been nail scarred. It says that he showed them his side. He lifted up his shirt, which I'm not gonna do because I don't have my summer bod yet. But anyway, so he showed them his side where the spear had gone right here into his side and pierced him. And the Bible says that water and blood came out fulfilling the prophecy that said water and blood would come out of him. Okay, get this, listen to this. Hundreds of years before Jesus was even crucified, it said that he'd be pierced and water and blood would come out. And that's exactly what happened. Okay, so Jesus is showing him his hand. He shows him his size. And it says the disciples went from being afraid. They were filled with fear, not of Jesus, but of being killed by the Jews. It says, then the disciples were glad when they saw Jesus. And Jesus said to them for the second time, peace be with you. You see, when we are in Jesus' presence, everything changes. When we are with Jesus, everything changes. So here's what I want to say. You're not alone. When you're Jesus' disciple, his presence is with you always. He is with you always. When you're at, tr at school having trouble with people, okay, you're not alone. Hello, wake up. Jesus is with you. You quit acting alone. His presence is with you. It's promised. Okay, when you're having trouble with your mom or dad at home, probably your fault, but anyway, when you're having trouble with your mom and dad at home, Jesus is with you. When you are stuck facing temptation that is just kicking your behind, 
the same temptation you're falling into over and over and over again, guess what? You're not alone. Jesus' presence is with you. And just like the disciples here from, literally went from being afraid to being filled with gladness. They went from being filled with fear to being filled with peace because they were not alone anymore. When Jesus died on the cross, they said, we're alone. We're going to die next. And now Jesus is with them again and they're filled with peace and gladness because Jesus is with them. His presence is with them. So here's the deal. You may or may not have walls built up. The second word is presence. Don't live your life without God's presence. You need his presence in your life. All right, last word and we're done here. First word was walls. Second word was presence. Jesus' presence in your life. The third word is sent. Okay, third word is sent. Um, He's with you while you go. He sent you. The Bible says this, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So Jesus says to them, hey, have some peace. He says, I'm sending you. Just like the Father sent me, you're next. I'm going to send you next. So he's, he's, a, he's predicting. He's getting them ready for what's going to come a little bit later. And we'll look at that verse in a couple weeks. But he's getting them ready saying, I'm about to send you on the greatest mission this earth has ever seen what he says to them and it says that he breathed on them and said receive the holy spirit i mean you don't believe that they received the holy spirit at that moment that that came at pentecost but what he was saying to them was get ready you are going to receive you're going to receive the holy spirit and he says if you forgive the sins of any they are forgiven them if you withhold forgiveness from any it is withheld not only god can withhold sins from people so jesus isn't saying that you guys can forgive people of their sins you and i've done nothing to forgive somebody of their sins. But what he is saying to them is that when we go as people who are sent, so if Jesus has sent Marcus and Marcus goes and shares the gospel, the message of Jesus with people, if they receive and they repent, then what this verse means is that I can in confidence say to them, your sins are forgiven and now you belong to God as his child that I can say that with confidence. So it isn't Marcus that does the forgiving of sins, but Marcus can confidently go to somebody and say, you put your faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Likewise, we also have the authority to say to somebody, you should be careful because you've rejected Jesus, which means you will stand before God one day in judgment. And I love you enough, listen to this, I love you enough to warn you to warn you that God doesn't want you to stand before him in judgment. He wants you to stand before him in mercy. So receive him and turn from sin and turn to him. So it isn't Marcus that does the forgiving of the sin. It isn't you in verse 23 that does the forgiving of the sin. But you can go as one that is sent with the message to say, God is calling you, repent. So here's what it looks like in the end. We're done. If someone repents and believes in Jesus, you can confidently, I'm sorry, people who are disciples have had walls between them broken down. So listen, if you follow Jesus here today, if you call yourself a Christian, if you're a Christian here today, recognize that at some point in your life you've had a wall between you and Jesus. And because you are his follower today, that means that at some point God's love and his way cracked the wall that was between you and God. And now you have fellowship and know him. Okay, so all of us who follow Jesus have had walls come down. Second thing is this, is that people who are disciples of Jesus, who follow Jesus, um, we live in God's presence every day. Every day we live in God's presence. We are not alone. There is not one moment where we are abandoned or left alone by God. Every day we can live and walk in his presence. Now, whether we do or not is another thing. 
but we should. And number three, just to recap, we are people who are sent. We are disciples who are sent into this world. All right, you're going to get to your C group time right now. Thanks for listening. Did a good job today. Let me pray for us and let you get, to, get out of here, okay? I actually have a few announcements after we pray. God, <clears throat> I just thank you for the way you show us in this very little passage here um, how powerful you are. And I thank you, God, that you remind us that we can have peace in you, that there is no wall that exists that you can't break down between us and, and you. And so, God, I pray that in your mercy, God, will you use the sledgehammer of your love to break through our hearts, that we would respond to you. Or forgive us, Lord, when we um, live like we don't know you, like we don't have your presence in our lives. God, forgive us when we live like people who really don't have his presence, and yet you've given us your presence. And God, will you just remind us that we are sent. You, you call us to go. So will you give us the boldness and the courage we need to go do that? We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Good week one. We'll jump into it again next week. Okay, got a couple announcements to make. I'm going to let you get out of here. Okay, number one. If you are here today and you have turned in fundraiser money, okay, for hamburger plate sale, or if you did the parking fundraiser in December and got a little money from that, okay, or if you've already paid a camp deposit, one of those three things, one of those three ways, fundraiser, fundraiser, or you already paid a deposit, any of those three, okay, you are ready to register for camp. So what you need to do is come by this table over here and we have a little postcard. And on that postcard, on the back of that postcard is the password that you need to register. It's time to start registering for camp, all right? Okay, that's the first thing, okay? Number two, the second thing is this. If you sold fundraiser tickets or if you just wanna come help us out, I need you to stop by this table today and I need you to uh, sign up to help in the, at the fundraiser this coming um, weekend. Now, there are jobs that we need help with on Friday night. There are a few jobs on Friday night that we need help with. There are a few jobs to help with on Saturday morning. And then there are a few jobs, quite a few jobs to do on Sunday. Now, I know a bunch of you are saying, oh, I'll just work on Sunday or I'll just work on Sunday from when I'm usually here at church. But there are quite a few jobs that are open from times where people just maybe don't want to help or sign up. And we need those jobs filled today, not on Sunday. This isn't the kind of thing where you just show up and say, oh, I'm here. Can I help? Like we want to know now. We want to know today. We wanted to know on Sunday of last week how and where you're going to sign up to help. So if you sold fundraiser tickets, I want to see you at the table today. And I want you to confirm where you signed up. Listen to me. If you sold fundraiser tickets or your mama sold fundraiser tickets for you, come by the table and see me. Because everybody who signed up, or everybody who sold is working. Let me say that again. Everybody who sold is working. Now, if you just want to come help us just because you want something fun to do on Friday night or Saturday morning or Sunday, then you can come by too, even if you didn't sell. We definitely could use the help, okay? You can come sign up today. So we'll be at that table right there. And uh, you can come by and sign up on any of those work, sign up worksheets, all right? Okay, last announcement, I'll let you get to C group time. All right. Where are my high school seniors at? Give it up for our high school seniors. Yeah, you guys are awesome. All right, okay, so high school seniors. For those of you who turned in your senior information by Sunday of this last week, thank you for doing that. I've got about at least maybe 13 or 14 of you that turned in stuff, which is awesome. I'm only short about 10 more people to get to about 25 or so. 
A lot of you seniors still haven't turned stuff in. You have a little bit of time left, but here's the thing, okay? If your stuff isn't turned in by the end of this week, I probably am not gonna get you in on any of our senior stuff. You can still participate. You can still come up to the front for the prayer on Sunday, May the 5th, on Sunday morning in the worship services. You can still participate in everything. But your mama's gonna say, how come everybody's picture's on the screen and yours isn't on the screen? Your mama or your dad might say that, and then you can probably tell them, I don't know, I guess Marcus forgot to put my picture in there. And then your mama's gonna come get mad at me, and I'm gonna tell him, hey, listen, I sent you an email, I sent you a letter. I love, I love your child so much, but I just, I don't know where their baby pictures are because I'm not their mama or daddy, okay? And so that's just a long way for me to say that if you're a high school senior, Get your stuff turned into me by the end of this week, and I ain't gonna cry if I can't get your stuff in, okay? I love you very much, but I'm not a magician, all right? Okay, I can't make pictures of you appear. And lastly, if you're in middle school, um, and where's Josh Rainhall? Josh Rainhall, you here? Okay, Josh, when you circle up with the middle school boys, will you circle up with um, Hannah really quick? I want the middle school boys and the middle school girls to go to the back really quick. Circle up with Hannah. She has a quick announcement that is only for middle school students. So if you're in middle school, you head to the back with Josh, Karina, and Hannah. She's got an announcement for you guys, okay? All right. If you're in jazz, if you're in, I almost said jazz. Oh, I said jazz. If you're in, in, in Mikey's group, if you're in Mikey's group, Mikey's out today. You all circle up here in the front. I'll move out of the way. If you're in Mikey's 11th, 12th grade girls group, Hannah will lead your group. If you're in Jackie's group, Jackie's sick today. So if you're in Jackie's group, circle up with Liz, all right? So Liz will take all the ninth and 10th grade girls groups today. And um, I think everybody else is in town, right, Eli? Everybody else is here, yeah? Okay, awesome, okay, guys. All right, we're almost to the end of the semester, guys. It's gonna be great. Um, after you finish group time, don't sneak out. Come see me at my table, okay? All right. Love you guys. Enjoy C group time. Lastly, wait, 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 I got one more announcement. Okay, I'm sorry. It, oh, Tom, okay. Um, Josh Rainhall, Thomas is not here today. You take middle school boys. All right. Um, it is 7:50. Okay, 7:50. It is 7:50. That means that you are not allowed to leave here until remedy is over. Remedy's not over at 7:50. Okay, it's over at eight. So go to C group time. If you hate C group time, you're welcome to sit right where you're sitting and I ain't gonna bother you, okay? But you cannot leave here until eight, all right? Okay, I love you with all my heart. Goodbye.